You're listening to the Rocky Mountain Review for Thursday, October 27th. I'm Portia Cook. And I'm Kira McKinley. And you're tuned into KCSU Fort Collins. On today's show, Kira McKinley goes over campus news with information on an organ concert. Then Portia covers local news with information on permanent outdoor dining. After that, Portia reports on music, entertainment, and events news with information on the death of a radio veteran. Then you'll hear an interview with Mitch and Victoria Talk as they discuss relationship violence during the We Believe You podcast. Then McKinley goes over environmental news with updates on drought conditions in British Columbia. After that, I go over national news with updates on tourists who were stranded in the Grand Canyon Caverns. Then stay tuned as you and Kirk goes over updates in CSU sports. And to conclude today's show, I take a look at what Fort Collins has in store for the weather this week. The following Rocky Mountain Review news broadcast was pre-recorded on Wednesday, October 26. Let's move right into campus and local news. I'm Karen McKinley reporting your campus news for Thursday, October 28th. When you think of Halloween, what type of music comes to mind? Maybe it's some creepy music being carried out by an even creepier looking organ. Well, if you ever want a chance to hear this festive music live, you'll have a chance on October 31st. At 6, 8, and 10 p.m. at the Organ Recital Hall, there will be an annual Halloween organ show. The concert is $4 for children, $12 for seniors, and $14 for adults. You can find more information on this event on the Colorado State University's events page. And other campus news, if you're tired of seeing the Colorado State University Rams football team lose time and time again, it seems like the tune may be changing. Last week, the Rams won their game against the Hawaii Rainbow Warriors 17-13. It was a tight game, but by the end, the Rams pulled through. For more information on CSU Sports, make sure to stay tuned for you and Pert's sports updates later on in the show. Thank you for listening to my campus news updates. Now on to local news with Portia Cook. I am Portia Cook reporting your local news for Thursday, October 27th. The 2022 U.S. elections are around the corner and New Era Colorado is here to help with all your voting needs. Colorado holds regularly scheduled state elections every two years. During a regularly scheduled election year, a primary election is held in June, followed by the general election in November. The general election will be held in Colorado on November 8th. I caught up with all of a representative from New Era Colorado in the Lori Student Center Plaza to talk about who they are and how they are helping young people with local politics. I'm Olives. I'm with New Era Colorado. We are a nonpartisan nonprofit that works to engage young people in democracy, and that's what we're doing here. Awesome. Yeah. So it says, this is why we vote New Era Colorado. Tell me a little bit about what you guys offer in terms of services or support. Yeah, so uh, we are walking people over to polling centers. We're providing these uh, lovely ballot guides. Here just has like all the information that you might need to know on the ballot, um, you know, mainly centering oh it around the youth agenda and including some information about politicians who support the youth agenda based on our surveys. Um, Also some information about some of the propositions on the ballot that we are voting yes for and also ones that we're neutral on or voting no for. Um, It's just super handy. And also just uh, providing all the information that someone might need, uh, making voting plans with people, that kind of stuff. Awesome. And if there's individuals who need more information or support, where can they go? Um, A voting center or a polling center. Um, We have one on campus. It's at the Durrell Center. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. And 
in your own words, why is it important for us to be voting? I mean, I think it's a really good way to take action, um, dismantle systems of oppression. And that's something we say a lot. Um, We always call it like leisurely anarchy here. Um, Yeah. And real quick, remind me what we can find in this youth agenda voter guide. Yeah. So um, candidates here um, and where they stand on the youth agenda. Also, who endorses them and supports them and um, where some of their funding is going and also the propositions that we're voting yes, no, and propositions that we're neutral on and also an explanation as to why we're voting yes or no on it. Awesome. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thank you. For those of you just tuning in, you just heard a quick interview with Olive from New Era Colorado. New Era Colorado Foundation is a nonprofit organization that helps educate and engage young people in Colorado politics. If you have questions, need information on the upcoming election, need voting support in general, and to grab your 2022 Colorado voting guide, you can find New Era at their booth outside in the LSC Plaza on Tuesdays and Thursdays from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. Additional information about New Era Colorado can be found on their website at neweracolorado.org. Additional voting information and services can be found right here on campus at the Voter Services Center located in the Durrell Center at 950 West Plum Street in the lower level rooms A, B, and C. The Voter Services Center is open from October 24th through October 31st from 8 o'clock a.m. to 5 o'clock p.m. and 7 o'clock a.m. to 7 o'clock p.m. on Election Day. Every voter in Colorado will receive a mail ballot to the mailing address provided when you register to vote. Those ballots have already began to go out the week of October 16th. To check what address you provided when registering to vote, you can visit www.govotecolorado.gov. You can also track your ballot to see if or when it will be mailed to you by going to colorado.ballottracks.net, or you can find your voter registration or register to vote at www.govotecolorado.gov. All of this information and more can be found on the official Secretary of State website at coloradosos.gov. In other local news, whether it was out in the open or in a makeshift dining pod, who can forget dining outdoors during the COVID-19 pandemic? Well, if you're like me and you enjoyed the outdoor dining scene, I have good news. Outdoor dining in Fort Collins is here to stay. In response to the COVID-19 pandemic, the city enacted emergency orders to allow for extended outdoor patio dining to help food and drink establishments continue operations. On October 18th, the Fort Collins City Council unanimously voted to amend the city code to permanently expand these outdoor dining regulations. The city told the Coloradoan that patio expansions are, quote, popular and successful both economically and as a vibrant way to activate streets and sidewalks, end quote. The proposed code changes will allow restaurants and other hospitality businesses to operate three kinds of patios, including traditional patios attached to the business building. Patios are tables and chairs that are in a public right-of-way but are within the business's building frontage and patios in designated on-street parking spaces within the business's building frontage. Each of these patios will require a different permit and each will also have different design elements, rules, and regulations. I'm Portia Cook reporting your local news. I'll be right back with your music events and entertainment news after the break. Support for KCSU comes from Comet Chicken. Located in Old Town on Mountain Avenue, just west of college, Comet Chicken serves up boneless, skinless, hand-breaded in-house tenders, french fries, salads, sandwiches, and made-from-scratch sauces. Offering no-contact carryout, online ordering, curbside pickup, and delivery from Nosh. Open for lunch and dinner and breaks in between. For more details, visit CometChicken.com.
I'm Portia Cook, and as promised, I am back with your music events and entertainment news. In entertainment news, the radio broadcasting world is mourning the loss of a radio veteran. British radio host Tim Go died on October 24th at the age of 55 while on air during his morning breakfast show. According to a Gen X radio press release, Go is suspected to have died from a heart attack. The beloved radio broadcaster was in radio for over four decades. Gen X Radio Sufal said, quote, Tim was a hugely experienced and highly talented broadcaster with an army of fans for his daily show. He is a very sad loss to radio and the county of Sulfox, end quote. In events news, New Belgium Brewery and Animal Friends Alliance presents Run for Fun Spooktacular. The Run for Fun 5K starts and ends at New Belgium Brewery Company. Registration includes a race t-shirt, post-race beer and breakfast snacks, sponsor booths, race prizes, a human and canine costume contest, and lots of fun with fellow animal and beer-loving racers. Registration for the event can be found online at www.savinganimalstoday.org slash calendar, slash special dash events, slash run for fun. In other events news, join Inside Out Youth Services and Joy for their bi-weekly connection group, Melanin Magic. Melanin Magic is a LGBTQIA2 plus and BIPOC group for young people to meet, connect, and share their experiences, successes, and challenges in a safe place. The connection group will be held online today, Thursday, October 27th from 5.30 p.m. to 6.30 p.m. Registration for the event can be found at kcsufm.com on today's event calendar. If you're looking for more things to do, you can find daily updated events and activities at kcsufm.com under the events calendar. I'm Portia Cook, and that's all for your music events and entertainment news. Now, an interview with Mitch and Victoria Talk about what relationship violence is and how it can impact survivors. everyone, it's Victoria. Before we get started, I'm going to introduce one of our new advocates. Mitch is joining me on the podcast today, so you'll be hearing a new voice throughout this episode. I'll let them introduce themselves before we dive in. Hey, Mitch, welcome to the podcast. We'd love to hear a little more about you. Hey, thanks, Victoria. Greetings, everyone. As Victoria said, my name is Mitch, and I use any pronouns. I'm a new advocate at the Women and Gender Advocacy Center, and I'm absolutely stoked to be here. I'd love to share a little bit about myself. Some of the identities I hold are that I'm queer, fabulous, I'm non-monogamous, a multiracial person of color, first-generation college graduate, and I'm also a survivor myself. I have an undergraduate degree in psychology and a master's in counseling. Professionally, I have mostly worked in the nonprofit sector, and I'm realizing that crisis and trauma work are kind of my thing. I've had the previous privilege of working with survivors of all identities, as well as families of interpersonal violence, or IPV for short. A quick holler out to the folks at the Safe House Progressive Alliance for Nonviolence in Boulder. Y'all, that organization changed my life. Moving on, I've been in and out of the intellectual and developmental disabilities field since the mid-90s. I've also worked with people who've experienced trauma from natural disasters, and more recently worked at an LGBTQ nonprofit during the height of the pandemic as a community advocate. I'd like to give out another quick shout to the folks at Outborder County, another nonprofit organization that's doing some kick-ass work for supporting their queer community. I've facilitated community and volunteer trainings, as well as education around all various social justice topics. 
I guess you could say social justice is a passion of mine, personally and professionally, which is probably what keeps me wanting to work on the front lines with people. I personally consider being able to work with people at their most vulnerable and darkest times one of the most precious gifts of trust. And I take that very seriously, and I do the best that I can to support survivors who reach out to us for help. On a lighter note, I relocated to Colorado about 16 years ago from Texas, and more recently, I moved out of Boulder County about a year ago, and I've been here in Fort Collins ever since. Some of the things I enjoy when I'm not working are attending pottery class, being outside with nature, attending live music, DIY projects because I love power tools, a delicious charcuterie spread, which to me is just a fancy word for yummy finger food, and spending time with my friends, loved ones, and two cats. We're so excited to have you join us, Mitch, both on the podcast and in the office. Now, in this episode, we're going to talk about relationship violence. It's likely you've heard of relationship violence, which is also called domestic violence, and you probably have some understanding about what it is. But the realities of it are far more complex than many of us know. In this episode, Mitch and I will talk about what relationship violence is and how it impacts survivors. That's right. The WGAC often uses the terms relationship violence or dating violence instead of domestic violence. And that's because domestic violence is often used to describe abuse inside of marriages or relationships where a victim lives with their perpetrator or in instances where partners share children. But understandably, a lot of our students don't identify with this term or see themselves in it because of those assumptions. And some folks may think that dating relationships are actually immune from violence. So we've embraced the term relationship violence to talk about abuse in all romantic relationships. However, domestic, dating, and relationship violence are all really interchangeable terms, depending on your particular situation. Also, before we start digging in, I'd like to acknowledge how talking about IPV can be activating for a lot of people. So we want to take a moment to encourage our listeners to please take care of yourselves in whatever way that looks like for you. Yep, exactly, Mitch. Language is so important when talking about this topic and all of the other ones that we talk about in our office. So we're going to dive in with a definition. Relationship violence is a pattern of abuse that is perpetrated by a current or former intimate partner. The term intimate in this sense doesn't necessarily mean you've had sex with your abuser, but that you identify your current or former relationship as a dating and or romantic one. People of all identities can and do experience relationship violence, just as people of all identities perpetrate it. However, we know that cis men often commit acts of relationship violence and victims are overwhelmingly women. In fact, women between the ages of 18 and 34 generally experience higher rates of relationship violence than any other gender and age demographic. According to the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence, one in three women and one in four men have experienced relationship violence in their lifetimes. And an average of three women are killed every day in the United States at the hands of a current or former intimate partner. It's important to note that these statistics include the experiences of cisgender people and are not necessarily reflective of trans people or folks of other gender identities. This is a gap in research that we hope gets filled in the near future because it's incredibly important to understand the nuances of intimate partner abuse. Relationship violence, like other forms of gender-based violence, is all about power and control. Contrary to popular belief, abusers don't abuse because they have anger issues 
or substance abuse problems. In fact, abusers are often very much in control of their emotions and behavior. For example, we know of several cases where police were called to the scene of domestic violence and the abuser immediately calmed down. On the other hand, the victim was very upset, understandably so because they'd just been abused. Now, if an abuser truly suffered from, quote, anger issues, they would be unable to calm down so quickly. So for officers on the scene who were not trained in relationship violence, it appeared that the victim was the one causing the situation and not the actual perpetrator because of the difference in their emotional behavior. And the victim was arrested for domestic violence. Some police officers lack training about the dynamics of domestic violence and the nuances found in these kinds of relationships which may lead to wrongful arrest. Yeah, I've been witness to some of those situations too, and it's so messed up. You know, here in Colorado, if someone is arrested for a crime with a domestic violence enhancer, an automatic order of protection will be put into place. For example, if some rando were to slash someone's tires, that's a crime, right? But a current or ex-partner were to do this, then the domestic violence enhancer would be added. And sometimes when that happens, it can prevent a survivor from accessing their home, pets, and or children in traditional cases. But in a university setting, it might look like the victim being prevented from accessing their classes, resident halls, or other shared university location, and so on. Cases like this can highly discourage survivors from calling the police again because of the fear of potential negative legal consequences against them. This is just one example that helps us understand that quote-unquote anger issues are not at the heart of relationship violence and that it's a controlled and intentional behavior. Also, we often hear that relationship violence wouldn't happen if an abusive partner stopped drinking or using drugs. But actually, substance abuse doesn't cause relationship violence because if it did, think about it. All people who use drugs or alcohol would be abusive, right? Now, drugs and alcohol may impact an abuser's behavior or give them justification when they choose to act violently because, as we know, alcohol and other drugs can lower our inhibitions. But it does not cause relationship violence, just like alcohol doesn't cause rape. The only cause of relationship violence is choosing to engage in abusive behavior. Now, before we get into what abuse looks like in a relationship, I want to talk about the grooming process. In the IPV field, we often say that abusers don't usually hit or belittle their victims on the first date because that would be an obvious red flag, right? So on the contrary, abusers usually start off pretty damn charming, often what we call love bombing them. For those who might not be familiar with the term love bombing, this refers to sharing someone with excessive affection and superficial positive attention often moving things in the relationship very quickly in order to gain control over the victim. This attention may feel really good, but the goal in love bombing is manipulation, power, and control. Charm and love bombing often cause the victim to fall for the abuser very quickly, and it's a pretty common tactic abusers use. After a little while, the abuser will begin to inflict emotional or psychological abuse to throw their victim off balance. Some of it can be very subtle and seem like acts of intense love. Then, as more time passes, which will vary depending on the situation, an abusive incident will happen. And this doesn't always mean it's a physical incident. It could be a verbal violence, stonewalling, 
passive aggressiveness, or other forms of relationship violence, followed by apologies and promises to give the victim a false sense of hope in the relationship. This is often referred to as the honeymoon stage or the hook to get them to stay. Now, Victoria is going to talk about some of the common red flags to look out for. There are tons of red flags in abusive relationships, which are behaviors that indicate a high likelihood of future abuse. Some of these behaviors may even feel flattering at first and can take place any time in a relationship, with seemingly positive ones often showing up in the beginning, such as love bombing, like Mitch said. Now, these actions may not be red flags on their own, but several of them from the same person can be a sign of a problem. In the beginning of an abusive relationship, red flags can be a bit more subtle. And as the relationship continues, more red flags may show up, like your partner getting excessively jealous, monitoring your phone, or wanting to know where you are all the time. After a while, when a victim has been groomed by their perpetrator, a cycle or pattern of abuse will emerge. The timing of the cycle is different in every relationship. This cycle begins with a period of calm. This is when things seem good in the relationship and a victim feels mostly happy. However, even during the calm phase, a survivor may feel like something is wrong and be unable to put their finger on what or why. The next step in the cycle of abuse is tension building, which is also called walking on eggshells. This is a point where an abuser begins to use intimidation or other intentional behaviors that cause distress and tension in the survivor, leading to feelings of hypervigilance and fear, especially when the survivor has experienced the cycle before. Tension building leads to a specific incident of violence, which happens so the abuser can remain in control over their victim. It's important to note that violence is not only physical. In fact, some abusive relationships never include physical abuse at all. Violence can show up as something else, such as emotional or psychological abuse. We will talk more about different types of abuse later in this episode. Now, the next stage in the abuse cycle is called reconciliation. This is also called the honeymoon stage or the hook, as Mitch said earlier. Abusers often apologize profusely during this stage while also blaming their victim for the abuse, saying things like, I'm sorry that happened, but you just make me so mad. You really know how to push my buttons or... If you just didn't do that, I wouldn't have to hurt you. There's lots of other things that abusers will say to keep the blame on the victim. These apologies coupled with victim blaming often lead survivors to try to change their behavior to satisfy their abuser. But there's nothing a victim can do to prevent abuse. And it is never a survivor's fault. Abusers hurt their partners because they choose to do so. Abusers will often love bomb their victim again during the honeymoon stage, which draws them back in and gives them hope that everything will be okay or that the relationship will be like it was in the beginning. Sometimes, when a survivor has been in an abusive relationship for a long time, the calm and honeymoon phases will drop out, causing the cycle to swing from tension building to abuse over and over again. So y'all might be thinking, well, why doesn't the victim just leave? This is a common but complex question that places the responsibility of safety on the survivor instead of on their abuser, where it belongs. Some of y'all might remember the hashtag, quote-unquote, why I stayed, that was trending for a while. Well, the fact that there was a viral hashtag on this very topic is an answer to this very question. So, if you're curious and want to learn, check out the hashtag, why I stayed. 
So yeah, there's a ton of reasons that victims don't leave abusive relationships. For example, in Fort Collins, Crossroads Safe House is an awesome emergency domestic violence shelter that's a vital service to our community. And it wouldn't matter how many beds they had to offer, they'd all be full. In talking with my peers who have all worked at IPV organizations or shelters outside of Fort Collins and even outside of Colorado, it's common theme because there's such a need and nonprofits are limited to funding and capacity, which is quite unfortunate. Like other shelters, Crossroads is only able to offer an eight-week max stay in the facility. After that, there's no guarantee of safe housing, especially given the high rental rates in Fort Collins and the long wait times for affordable housing. So, for a low-income survivor, the lack of money may stop them from leaving their relationship. To add on to this, our current social climate with COVID is also a reason that may keep survivors from leaving an abusive relationship. And we know that being isolated with an abuser increases the likelihood of abuse. What's more, some survivors may also think they deserve to be abused or are at fault for the abuse especially if they have received this message from their abuser over time. Abusers may also repeatedly promise to get help, like counseling, which, coupled with the honeymoon stage, offers a survivor hope that things will change and go back to how it was in the beginning, like when the abuser gave them lots of love and attention. This is sometimes referred to as future faking, when an abuser intentionally makes false promises. It's pretty rare that an abusive person will change. Other obstacles to leaving can be related to cultural, religious, identity-related, disabilities, citizenship, and flat-out threats if they leave, and so on. This understandably causes an enormous amount of fear for a victim. Often gaslighting has taken place, which is meant to confuse the victim or cause them to question the reality and replace it with their abuser's reality. They may also feel like they don't deserve better, and some survivors report feeling quote-unquote addicted to the chaotic dynamic of abuse. It can become comfortable or feel normal, particularly if they have experienced abuse for some time. To put this in context, it's like having the comfort of knowing what to expect, even though it's dysfunctional, versus the fear of the unknown and the unsurmountable challenges that seem overwhelming. Now, we can't say this enough. There are so many reasons victims don't leave. And we know that survivors actually leave an average of eight times before getting out for good. And some people are unable to escape their abusive relationship at all. This can be hard for support people to understand, but it's super common and doesn't say anything bad about the survivor. Also, we know that the time right during and after leaving a violent relationship is the most dangerous for a survivor, and this increases their risk of intimate partner homicide. In the field, this is called escalation. This danger increases each time a survivor leaves their relationship, which puts them at greater and greater risk of extreme violence or even death. Escalation is also used to describe the increasing frequency and or severity of violence that happens in the course of an abusive relationship. Even if a survivor is able to escape an abusive relationship, this doesn't necessarily mean that their abuse will end. Survivors may experience escalated violence or stalking from their ex-partner, and abusers may use children or pets to further harm a victimized parent. We know of several cases where an abuser convinces a court that the victim is a bad parent, taking custody of their shared children, 
and refusing to allow the victim to be in their children's lives. It's often said that abusers are just as good at grooming allies as they are at grooming victims. We also hear about abusers using their new partner or other family members to further abuse their victim. Still, other survivors may have to move, change their name, and look over their shoulder for years. Abuse is an ongoing cycle that is extremely difficult to break, even after a survivor leaves their abusive partner. A victim may also find themselves in another abusive relationship after leaving, especially if the new relationship seems different from the old one. For example, if a survivor experienced physical and emotional abuse in one relationship and only emotional abuse in the next one, they may have a more difficult time identifying their new partner's behavior as abusive because they're not physically violent. Essentially, the ability to identify abuse in new relationships can be skewed because of a survivor's previous experiences. Yep, that's right, Victoria. And what's more, survivors may also have to work for years to heal from their abuse. The fear, life changes, identities, economic hardship, single parenthood, mental illness, lack of resources and support systems, and many other considerations are barriers that often exacerbate an already difficult situation for a survivor. This can lead to feeling overwhelmed enough to drive them back into the arms and homes of their abuser. Another caveat that isn't talked about as much with victims is that some of them often feel grief as well because they're losing a partner whom they really do love, as well as their marriage, family, and or home. And even if a survivor doesn't go back, they still have to invest an enormous amount of time, resources, and energy into their healing journey which can have a lot of complex layers depending on their situation. There are many more reasons that people don't or can't escape abuse. So instead of asking, why don't they just leave? Perhaps we should reframe our question and ask, why does that person abuse their partner? Why does society lack real accountability for those actions? And why can't we guarantee survivors safety and justice? Now, let's shift gears a little bit and talk about types of abuse. Contrary to popular belief, like Victoria mentioned, abuse isn't always physical. There are several ways that abusers may harm their victim. Physical abuse is certainly one type, and this includes things like hitting, pushing, kicking, strangulation, or any other form of physical violence. Sexual abuse happens in relationships as well and includes forced and or coerced sexual contact in any type of romantic relationship, including marriage. Another type of abuse is psychological. This includes behaviors like gaslighting, which we defined just a little earlier. Next, emotional and verbal abuse. That can look like making fun of a partner, minimizing their feelings, yelling, intimidation, put-downs, and more behaviors that impact the emotions of the survivor. Now, other types of abuse, like physical abuse, definitely have an emotional impact. But emotional abuse also happens on its own. Financial abuse happens when a perpetrator controls their victim's income and or finances. This can look like not allowing the victim to work, making them earn all the money in the household, forcing them to miss work, or other things related to finances. Abusers may also digitally abuse their victims by monitoring their devices or email or social media accounts, and they may also academically abuse them by forcing them to miss class or skip homework, resulting in poor grades and loss of scholarships. Stalking may also take place in an intimate relationship as well. 
This is not an exhaustive list of the ways that people can abuse. So if you feel like something is off in your relationship, we always say to trust your gut and you could also come see us for help. Identity is also a common way that perpetrators abuse their victims. They may threaten to out closeted partners to their families, call the police on a partner of color, withhold financial support from a low-income partner, report a partner with a substance abuse issue, take somebody's children, and many other identity-based things in an attempt to force the victim to follow an abuser's orders and or to stay in the abusive relationship. Again, the goal is always about power and control. Advocates working in the field sometimes use lethality assessments, which means they screen for certain behaviors that we know increase the likelihood of intimate partner homicide. The reason we do this is because it happens in every community, even ours. It was not that long ago in 2016 and 2017 that the CSU and Fort Collins community experienced the grave news of losing two young people as a result of relationship violence. If we can support someone in leaving or staying safe while in an IPV situation or prevent one more person from experiencing IPV, it's all worth it to me. All right, y'all. I know we've just laid out some really heavy information. And on that note, I'd like to offer the option to do a short grounding exercise through breathwork along with me and Victoria as we move away from this heavy content back to our daily routines and responsibilities. So let's begin. We can start by simply sitting in our seats, our spine stretched straight up above our hips, with our eyes either closed or drifting gently upwards and unfocused, if you're able. Whatever feels more comfortable for you. Now, before we take our breaths, think about something that brings you comfort. A place, a person, a pet, a song, whatever's relevant to you. Deepen into that feeling of comfort and take a deep breath with us. In through the nose, filling your belly with air, and exhale through the mouth. So let's take our first breath. In through the nose, out through the mouth. One more time. In through the nose, out through the mouth. Awesome. Great job, y'all. This is a quick grounding exercise anyone can do when your nervous system is in need of a little calming. It can help bring yourself back into your body. Once again, I'm Mitch, one of the new advocates at the WGIC. Thanks for having me on the show today. And now Victoria is going to take y'all through the last bit of our program. Thanks, Mitch. That was a great exercise. Grounding techniques can be so valuable to help us cope when things are hard. Now, we threw a lot of information at you about relationship violence, and I hope you have more clarity around this topic. The advocates at the WGAC are here to answer any questions and to support you with whatever you need. If you or someone you know is experiencing an abusive relationship, call our 24-7 confidential hotline at 970-492-4242. And if nothing else... Remember that no matter what your partner might tell you, abuse is not love. That's all for this episode of We Believe You, advocacy, resources, and healing around interpersonal trauma. Please remember that the WGAC is here to provide support for all CSU students 24 hours a day, 
365 days a year. Again, to reach an advocate, you can call 970-492-4242. If you have feedback, thoughts, comments, questions, or want to be interviewed for the podcast, please email wgac at colostate.edu. That's wgac at c-o-l-o-s-t-a-t-e dot e-d-u. For more information about advocacy in the Women and Gender Advocacy Center, go to www.wgac.colostate.edu. You can also find the WGAC on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. A big thank you to Xavier Hadley for creating the music used in this podcast and to our partnership with KCSU here at Colorado State University. For more KCSU content, go to kcsufm.com. Thank you so much for listening. The annual City of Fort Collins Hazardous Household Waste Collection Day is Saturday, September 10th from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. at the City of Fort Collins Street Facility near East Vine Drive. You can take this opportunity to dispose of any substances that contain ingredients that could negatively affect your health or safety. For more information about the Saturday, September 10th Hazardous Household Waste Collection Day, you can visit fcgov.com slash hhw. KCSU thanks the City of Fort Collins for their underwriting support. In environmental news, on October 17th, British Columbia's Sunshine Coast was under drought conditions. This has more of a butterfly effect than one may initially think, though. The area is a big contributor to beer and weed production, which has now been put on hold due to this drought. Officials from the area said that they are prioritizing the area's water supply, as there's no significant rainfall expected within the area anytime soon. Information from this story comes from Now This Earth News. In other news, with Halloween just around the corner, many people may be initially concerned about how Halloween candy can affect their or their children's physical health. But candy has many more negative effects than just on physical health. Candy production also has a big environmental impact as well. Ingredients like cocoa and cane sugar are extremely common in many types of candies. Their production can have a harmful environmental impact. CNN said, quote, Cocoa is often grown in rainforests that have been cleared for farming, for example. And unsustainable sugarcane production can also emit large amounts of plant warming gases, end quote. CNN has also found that in addition to this direct environmental impact from the production of these ingredients, a lot of candy goes to waste and contributes to the global food waste problem. About a third of the food globally is wasted, according to CNN. There are businesses that are looking into combating this problem of food waste by promoting more environmentally friendly candies. 
CNN said Amy Keller is making a climate-friendly candy that uses healthier ingredients that are also more sustainable. You can find more information on the environmental impacts of candy and more about these environmentally friendly alternatives at CNN.com. Thank you for listening to my environmental news updates. Now on to national news. Support for KCSU comes from Comet Chicken. Located in Old Town on Mountain Avenue, just west of college, Comet Chicken serves up boneless, skinless, hand-breaded in-house tenders, french fries, salads, sandwiches, and made-from-scratch sauces. Offering no-contact carryout, online ordering, curbside pickup, and delivery from Nosh. Open for lunch and dinner and breaks in between. For more details, visit CometChicken.com. In national news, in 2012, a mass shooting took place at Sandy Hook Elementary School in Connecticut. The shooter killed 26 people. Influencer Alex Jones has disrespected the memories of Sandy Hook victims and caused harm to their families and loved ones. He is a right-wing extremist who has been spreading false information about the shooting. Jones has claimed that the shooting was some sort of an elaborate hoax and that the families and the victims of the first responders were crisis actors, according to CNN. In light of Jones's claims, he has been brought to trial by the parents and loved ones of the victims. Jones has now been ordered to pay the families of the victims almost $1 billion in compensation, according to CNN. In other national news, when booking a flight, no one wants to sit in the dreaded middle seat, but you may want to reconsider that decision. Virgin Australia is now introducing a new program where one could earn the middle seat lottery and various prizes such as free flights, a helicopter pub crawl, and a bungee jump. Whether this interests you or not, you gotta give it to them. Those are some very creative prizes that even have me considering purchasing a middle seat for my next flight. Information from this story comes from CNN. Last Sunday in the Grand Canyon, cavern tourists got stuck underground due to an elevator malfunction. By Sunday night, though, around 8.30, all six of the tourists were back above ground. The tourists included a family with two young children and a couple, who were brought up 20 flights of stairs on Sunday night due to this elevator malfunction. Information from this story comes from CNN. Adidas has now terminated its contract with Yee, the rapper formerly known as Kanye West. Yee has tweeted and said things that are anti-Semitic and hateful. The company has said it, quote, does not tolerate any anti-Semitic in any other sort of hate speech. They went on to say that in addition to this, they value diversity and inclusion, mutual respect, and fairness, end quote. Information from this story comes from CNN. Thank you for listening to my national news updates. Now stay tuned for Ewan Pert's Colorado State University sports updates. I'm Ewan Pert, and welcome to this week's RMR sports update. We have seven teams active this week here at CSU. Up first, we have volleyball, who is 15-6 and six on the season. After splitting games last week, the volleyball team is looking to return to their winning ways and take wins against San Diego State and Fresno State later in the week at Moby Arena. Football is 2-5 and five on the season now after a thrilling win against Hawaii and improving to 2-1 and one in the Mountain West. The football team will be traveling to Boise State to keep adding to that win column over the weekend. Women's golf, after placing 8th in their last competition, the women's golf team is looking to improve 
as they play in the three-day Rainbow Wahine Invitational in Hawaii through the beginning of the week. Women's soccer is now 4-6-8 and eight on the season after going 0-1-1 last week. The soccer team will be hosting Wyoming near the end of the week in their final game of the season. If the Rams were to tie this game, they would tie the NCAA Division I record for most ties in a single season in women's soccer. Cross country will be competing in the Mountain West Championships in Laramie, Wyoming later this week. Basketball will be having their first exhibition game of the season against Metro State later this week. Women's Swim and Dive is 2-0 on the season. Undefeated on the season so far, the Swim and Dive team will be traveling to Denver at the end of the week for their third match of the season. I'm Ewan Pert, and this has been your sports update of the week. Thank you for listening to the Rocky Mountain Review. I'm Portia Cook with your Fort Collins weather forecast for today, Thursday, October 27th. Today was cloudy and cool with a high of 54. Tonight, you can expect clear skies and temperatures to continue to drop with a high of 26. Friday warms back up a little with sunny skies and a high of 60. Friday night brings us mainly clear skies and a low of 32. As for this weekend, Saturday gives us partly to mostly cloudy skies with temperatures in the low 60s. And Sunday continues with cloudy skies with highs also in the low 60s. For next week's weather, you can tune into the next episode of the Rocky Mountain Review only on 90.5 FM KCSU Fort Collins. I'm Portia Cook with your KCSU weather report. Information comes from the Weather Channel. And that's all for today. We just wanted to thank Damian Castile for our amazing theme music that's playing right now. We'd like to thank our guests today, as well as the rest of the staff here at KCSU and Rocky Mountain Student Media. We couldn't do this without you. And I'd like to thank you, Portia. And I'd like to thank you, Kira. And finally, we couldn't do this without you. Dear listener, thank you. If you missed any part of today's show, you can find the RMR podcast on kcsufm.com under news or podcast. You can also find us on Spotify or anywhere else you listen to your podcast by searching KCSU News. And with that, we'll see you next time.